You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, this summer, we're moving through a series of messages focusing us on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this is week four of seven, and Lori Wheeler, UPC's newest pastor and team lead of our worship department, has led out with three extraordinary sermons. And if you've been here each week, you know that each sermon was unique in message and in style. And I've reflected on these three sermons, and I've likened them to women's Olympic gymnastics. (laughs) Each sermon was like a separate event. The first was beautifully communicated. It was thoroughly poetic. She incorporated the imagery of water and wind and fire as images of the Holy Spirit. And the sermon made me think of rhythmic gymnastics. You know, with the ribbons, the long ribbons twirling. You have to imagine the ribbons. Uh, that probably wouldn't help at all, actually. That, that. But it was truly evocative, imaginative, beautiful. Her second sermon was deeply theological and reminded me of the balance beam. There, were, there was the precision in the movement of her message, which was essentially the assertion of two key truths. One, that the Holy Spirit's ministry is rooted in the life and death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And two, that the Christian life is informed in and moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that sermon had leaps and twists and spins, but always came down centered on that theological beam. And then finally, like a top performance on the vault, she, she uh, stuck the landing with last week's message. Lori's sermon was thoroughly practical as she unpacked the passage from First Thessalonians about the ministry of the Holy Spirit that animates and re-energizes our lives through scripture and community and witness. Outstanding. You know, I've decided to award her the gold in the all-around. It was a terrific Olympic performance. And today we're going to consider the theme of release as it pertains to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And with me preaching rather than the majestics of the Olympics, you get more of a tractor pull. Or maybe a demolition derby. But consider yourself warm. Put your protective gear on. Here we go. We're going to explore the theme of release through the passage that we've selected, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. And in this encounter, Jesus dramatically asserts his core message. The kingdom of God has come. And he calls the assembled in Nazareth and that synagogue there to consider the nature of their life vocation in relationship to Jesus' invitation to mission. And so this text is a text about mission and vocation. And in this text we're about to consider, Luke places Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, traveling throughout the towns and villages of Galilee. And in this passage, Jesus has returned to his hometown of Nazareth. This event in the Nazareth synagogue is almost like the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. Except, of course, without all the fireworks and the pomp and ceremony and the Queen and James Bond jumping out of a helicopter. Apart from that, it's a lot like the opening ceremonies. 
in the, sen- in the sense that it sets the stage, establishes the themes of his ministry and message, and it places him at the center of it all. In fact, more than being like the opening ceremonies of the Olympics, it's more like a presidential candidate's campaign launch. You know, we've seen the candidate goes back to his hometown, the place of his roots, the place where he grew up, the place where he, everybody knows his name and everybody knows his business. President Clinton launched his campaign from that little, his little hometown of hope, Arkansas. President Bush launched his campaign harkening back to his oil man days in Houston. John McCain launched from this picturesque setting in Arizona. Al Gore launched from Rocky Top Mountain, Tennessee. So here Jesus is back in the old neighborhood, back in Nazareth, in the synagogue where he grew up, and he stands to read, as was the custom of a visiting rabbi, and he selects the passage from Isaiah 61. And like a candidate launching his campaign, this is a statement of his core agenda, his policy platform, his essential mission in the world. And so let's open to the passage in Luke chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 14, and you can find it in that black Bible, in the pew Bible in front of you on page 835. Luke chapter 4. We're going to start reading at verse 14, and I will read it for us. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. And when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. As we consider this text, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. And I pray that as you invite us into it, that you would work your word into our lives and then by your Holy Spirit that you'd help us to work it out in our lives and in the world around us as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this passage begins with some context. Jesus is traveling throughout the towns and villages of Galilee and he's teaching and he's preaching and he's getting an incredibly positive response. He's making quite a name for himself. He's becoming a local celebrity. And the core message that he was preaching and demonstrating throughout Galilee's towns and villages was this. This was his core message. Everywhere he went, he said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Turn around and believe in the good news. 
And so let me just pause here for a moment and exegete that core message because it's incredibly important to have a clear understanding of what Jesus is pronouncing throughout the towns and villages of Galilee as we enter the synagogue in Nazareth. He's essentially saying this. He's saying all human history has led to this moment. God is in the process of establishing his kingly rule upon the planet in a profound and irreversible way. So turn around, pay attention, and trust in this good news. Realign your life with this event. And so returning to our text here in Luke, we find Jesus in Nazareth. The hometown boy has returned, a bit of a local celebrity. And he's come to the synagogue to preach. And the message that he preaches there is essentially just another version of the one he's been preaching throughout Galilee. It's a message of the kingdom. And he draws from the Old Testament texts of Isaiah 61, throws in a dash of Isaiah 58 to proclaim the coming of God's kingdom. And the congregation clearly understands this as a messianic text. It's a text that pronounces a great release a profound reversal, a once-in-a-lifetime rescue. In choosing this Isaiah text, Jesus asserts that God is determined to resolve the brokenness of his creation. There is liberation for those under captivity. There's recovery for those who are broken and impaired. There's freedom for the hopeless and the, the powerless. There's a monumental putting things right, this allusion to the year of Jubilee from Leviticus chapter 25 that was understood as a healing of the earth and a reset of economic and political and social relationships. And after this reading of great news... He rolled up the scroll, and he hands it off to the attendant, and he sat down to preach, as was the way of the rabbi in synagogue. And you can only imagine that you could hear a pin drop in that assembly. And the text says that every eye was fixed upon him. And then he begins his sermon with this amazing statement there in verse 21. He says, today this scripture has been fulfilled. In your hearing it, the kingdom of God is coming near. Turn around and trust in this good news. Now, the rest of that Nazareth synagogue encounter was, is described in the following passages in verse 22 through 30. And without taking the time to read it, let me just walk or talk us through what happens there. Initially, we see that the assembled congregation loves him. They're amazed, and there's an initial positive response. But as Jesus' sermon continues, the encounter takes an ugly turn. And before you know it, the crowd becomes reactive and violent. And it begs the question, how did all this seemingly good news turn out to be bad news for the folks assembled there? You see, the folk gathered in that Nazareth synagogue were primed for some good news. And scholars tell us that that Isaiah 61 passage was one of the favorite Old Testament texts of that that community. They identified with the message of deliverance. They understood it with respect to the situation that they had found themselves in. They were waiting for the great messianic revolution, the turning of the tables, the confrontation 
with the Roman Empire where their God would remove the oppressor and restore to Israel the kingdom. They saw themselves as the poor who seek good news, as the captives seeking release, as the oppressed who sought their freedom. They were ready for a great reversal where economic and political and ecological relationships would be put right and Rome would be taken down. That's how they heard the Isaiah text. They understood it in terms of them being the chosen people of God. And they were waiting to hear a sermon that would reinforce their worldview. But with this sermon here in Nazareth, Jesus challenges that perspective. He reminds them of what their identity as the chosen people really means In this sermon, he highlights the acts of God that bless the foreigner as a way of reminding them of the true vocation of the chosen people of God. You know, throughout the history of Israel, we see time and time again the people living from this core misunderstanding that sought to claim the privilege of being the chosen ones while denying the vocation of their calling. They continually claimed insider status for its own sake. You know, from the very first calling of God to Abraham, blessed to be a blessing was the nature of that first call. The people of God have always been called to live for the good of the world. And Jesus' sermon confronted them with their spiritual narcissism. You see, God did not claim Israel as the chosen people for their own sake. They weren't made insiders on the mysteries of the kingdom of God as a matter of privilege. Jesus' message pronounced the deeper truth that the secret of the kingdom is given to those who have been chosen not for themselves, but chosen to be the bearers of the secret for others. Insider status is given as a gift for the sake of the outsiders. That is the essential nature of chosenness. And so the sermon that Jesus preached there in Nazareth to his chosen ones then, he speaks to his chosen ones today. As people of the new covenant, as followers of Jesus Christ, our essential Identity is defined by our chosenness of God. Passage after passage after passage of Scripture affirms that truth. That's essential Christian theology. You and I have that in common with the folks sitting in that Nazareth synagogue some 2,000 plus years ago. And it is the gift of the Holy Spirit that enables and directs and empowers God's people to live into our vocation as we participate with him in his mission. In the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus makes a post-resurrection appearance among his disciples, and Jesus meets the disciples. They're frightened and huddled behind locked doors in the upper room. They are doing what the church has so often done, withdrawing from the world and seeking protection in the confines of a closed community. And Jesus comes among them, and his message to them is tender yet forceful, calling them to live into their chosenness, to embark on his mission, to become people sent into the world 
as agents of the kingdom. Let me read that passage for you. And if you'd like to follow along, it's on page 883, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, starting at verse 19, if you'd like to follow along. 883. Let me read it. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And after that, he said this. He showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus' message here to his disciples is effectively this. Open those doors which you have shut. Go out into that world of which you are afraid. Give witness to the kingdom coming. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The risen Lord shares his risen life with us in and through the Holy Spirit that we may take up and continue his mission in the world. It is a gift of the Spirit that alone shapes and configures the church for kingdom ministry, sending us into the secular life of the world around us as bearers of the reconciling grace of God. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is release, liberation, deliverance. Above all, it is a work of the Spirit in the church to continue that which Jesus came to do, to take away the sin of the world, to release God's beloved children from the iron grip of evil. And so Jesus commissions us with these words. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And Jesus gives us this awesome authority and this awesome responsibility. You see, people are not released from the grip of evil by a general theological statement that God is one who forgives. As if a propositional pronouncement of this truth has some magical power. That's just not how it works. Truth only has power when it is enacted and when it is embodied. Release, and guilt, release from guilt and alienation from God has to be personal, has to be specific, has to be concrete. Addressed with authority and love for each person. You know, Jesus had this authority, and it was that authority that simultaneously amazed the crowds and tortured and infuriated the Pharisees. And he gives us this life-affirming, life-transforming power and responsibility to forgive. You know, we all know friends and family, and neighbors who live under the evil of unforgiveness. 
bad choices that have led down a path of hopelessness. Submission to behaviors that corrupt and distort our lives, actions or choices of others that impose themselves and lead to a cancer of potential failure, bitterness, and chronic brokenness. This is not how we've been designed to live. These are not the destinies for which Christ has lived and died and rose again. And into this world of brokenness and personal and systematic injustice, Jesus breathes upon us and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he sends us out with authority and responsibility to enter into people's lives and situations and communities and pronounce forgiveness, release, reversal. This past uh, week, Thursday night, I was sitting at home watching the news and there was this amazing story, this uh, incredible story of how tragedy had been reversed by forgiveness. And we've got that clip and I'd like to share it with you now. Check it out. Old Jasmine Green died last year after daycare workers left her in a van on a hot summer day in Jonesboro, Georgia. Her parents, April McAllister and Charles Green, wanted everyone involved to go to prison. It's blind rage at first because it's your daughter. You don't care who did it. You want justice immediately. 17-year-old Maisha Ridley was the daycare worker who incorrectly checked off that the toddler was removed from the van. She pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter and faced prison. How hard was it for you to deal with Jasmine's death? It was really hard because I felt like that was my child because I've known her for so long. Did you feel like your life was over? Yeah, I really did. But Judge Steve Teske, who presided over Ridley's case, had a different idea. She's not a bad kid. It was a mistake. And yes, it was a horrendous mistake. But at, at that juncture, how we respond to her is going to define the rest of her life. As chief of the Clayton County Juvenile Court, Teske has worked with the community to drastically reduce the number of minors going to prison. He says a child's history and potential are important to consider. Maisha was already heading to college. She was already on a path to success. Teske gave her an unusual sentence, two years probation, and he required Ridley to make a memorial to Jasmine. What was the inspiration for having Maisha create a memorial to Jasmine? It came from Jasmine's father when he was in the courtroom. He asked this one question, who's going to remember my daughter? And wow, that struck me right here. We asked Jasmine's parents what they thought about the judge's decision. I am happy for what the judge did for her and what the judge did give her. He did give her, you know, opportunity to do something for our child or do something to help herself as well. We as a community need a reminder of Jasmine. And she needs a push to let her know that this is not going to stop. Jasmine's parents also needed a sense of closure. They asked to meet with Ridley to tell her that they did not hold any grudges. Their courtroom meeting was awkward at first, but as they talked about Jasmine, there were tears and then smiles. Ridley showed them the quilt that she spent nearly three months making in Jasmine's memory. Yeah, you did do a good job, yeah. The quilt will be displayed permanently at a new juvenile justice center opening in Jonesboro later this month. 
a tribute not only to the short life of little Jasmine Green, but also to second chances. Chip Reed, CBS News, Jonesboro, Georgia. What an incredible story of reversal. You know, that situation was all queued up for lose-lose. And yet, I, I don't know what the faith background of that judge is, but I am convinced that the Holy Spirit was working in his life to inspire him to see a different way forward, a way of release, a way of liberation. You know, it was a horrific thing that happened, but the judge was determined to not allow that incident to define those people's lives. You know, it would have defined not only uh, the young woman's life, but it would have defined the parents' lives as well. And what an incredible reversal uh, through that inspiration, the, the actions of that judge. Great story. Well, blessed to be a blessing is the call that we're confronted with. Chosen for the sake of others. Alive in Christ, alive together, living for the world. We are a people offered a gift. The gift of God's Spirit, empowered with His authority and love to release the captive, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the oppressed free. Let us turn and face the kingdom of God and receive that gift for the kingdom of God has come near. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you come to us with the pronouncement of kingdom come. And yet I confess that for various reasons, whether it's apathy or lethargy or Ignorance that I am not inclined to receive it, to receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. And so forgive us, Lord, where we have resisted your movement in our lives and help us to turn around, to face into the good news of the kingdom coming and to fill our lives with the gift of your Holy Spirit that would lead and direct us into the life of the world that we might be the bearers of the secret and that we might share your reconciling, gra reconciling grace, your deep uh, goodness of love for the world. Inspire our vocation. Help us to live in participation with you in your mission in the world of love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, Visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.